we're talking about talking to people. You want to meet the patient where they're at, right? If you start going off on overly medical complex jargon and you have a patient that doesn't know what you're talking about, you're going to lose them right away. All right. Welcome to the show. Uh, we'll be talking with a board certified oncology clinical specialist. Uh, he works at Stanford Healthcare. Uh, bringing a unique blend of of words that I think a couple years ago we didn't use very often. And I'm glad to see words like empathy uh, being brought more into a conversation, right? In the world, could we do, would we be okay with less empathy? I don't know. I think we'd be worse off. Um, so our guest is uh, works and, and shares expertise to acute care PT specializing in helping patients navigate the challenging journeys of oncology, bone marrow transplants, cellular therapy. Uh, let's welcome to the show Adam Matichek. Uh, Adam, wel welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jimmy. Uh, let's start with uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It is a Happy New Year. <laughs> do you do resolutions, intentions, or just, I mean, you just show up for work the next day? I, I just show up. <laughs> I used to do the, I, I do like the idea of now people are like intentions. Like January 1st is just a date or, you know, January. I did like what I saw on social media, which isn't what you hear a lot of people say. Like, oh, I, I did <laughs> like people in, I saw a lot of this and I don't know if it's, if it was the same type of group of people, but they were saying, listen, why wait till January to start whatever it is? What are you waiting for? So whatever that thing is, hey, start in December and you'll be one twelfth ahead of, you know, where you would have been. And I sort of like that idea, which is one yeah. one 2024 isn't a start date. It's just another date. Well, and I feel like the other issue that people have when they're like setting that like January 1st, I'm going to start doing this is that then if they don't start, it's oh, like, all right, well, I'm going to like, do I start next week? Do I start right. next month? Do I start next year? Like, right. um, you know, people put too much, too much pressure on themselves to. I always like you know, to watch. That, I always like to watch what kids do because I think, I think kids are smart because like they're not soiled with all this other stuff and what, and like, but one bad thing kids do is they're always like, I want to I restart. I want to restart. I want to restart. Oh, no, 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 that's not that. That was a practice. That was a practice. That was a practice. <laughs> Although it is a good way to look at stuff, which is like, all right, I screwed up. Okay, well, that wasn't the real one. Let me, now I'm going to do it. Now, now I'm going to do it. And you never need to teach kids that. They just know it. Yeah. All right. So we get the hardest questions out of the way first. What are we, what are we drinking, Adam? Uh, we are drinking coffee, actually. <laughs> okay. But for the people not watching the YouTube uh, video, you have a little bit of a collection behind you. And I would like you to do. Like, help me understand. I see. Is that Bullet? That's Bullet. I recognize that bottle. Yeah, that's a pretty recognizable bottle. Uh, the the Red Wax should be a recognizable bottle. Yes, makers. Um, but yeah, we got the... Uh, here, we'll take you on a what, tour what of the, the ones that don't know. Yeah. Which ones do you like? Um, what, are, what are like, you know, I feel like we're on the Price is Right or something. We're doing a tour of... Uh, <laughs> But what's what's one thing on that that bourbon shelf that maybe I wouldn't have heard of that you're like you should try this? Um, well, if you can find it, Stag or Stag Junior is excellent. Uh, it comes in comes in at a great uh, great price point. Should be able to find it for sixty five seventy bucks a bottle. Um, but they they range in proof from like one twenty five to I think my bottle up there is like one hundred and thirty one proof. It is yeah, it's got an excellent kids. excellent excellent nightcap. Um, but I'm I'm more of a rye fan, especially during winter time. I like the the spiciness of it. So yeah, 
Yeah, someone got me a bottle of rye. What's the difference? I uh, just what they're made out of. Um, yeah. So to me, the rye, the rye is gonna. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm drinking uh, a vintage. If you can get your hands on it, the price point's about a dollar to a dollar ten per per bottle. It's a Miller Light because it's like four 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 o'clock where I am, and I've had a long day. So, cheers to your coffee, and I'll cheers to my Miller Light. Cheers. All right. Um, so Adam, you get to uh, you get to sort of like uh, uh, impart wisdom from the paths and the, and, the, and the places that you've walked. So we're doing this different format for an episode where we call it a six pack, where we're sort of picking an idea and yours is going to be like six things a board certified oncology clinical specialist thinks every PT should know. Right. And we've got six. So I'll set you up and then you knock it down. All right. So first off, first up, your words matter. So what does that mean? How do you use language positively to positively influence patients, their experiences, their families? I call it the solar system, everybody around the fa- the, the patient during their rehab journey. Word, words matter. Yeah. Um, I think it's a great one to start with, right? Because we're talking about talking to people. Um, and so your word choice, um, you know, you want to meet the patient where they're at, right? If you start going off on overly medical complex jargon um, and you have a patient that doesn't know what you're talking about, you're going to lose them right away. Um, and then also, um, you know, we want to stay away from like over stigmatized language. Um, so, uh, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of chat on social media about, um, you know, patients not, not adhering to things, not, you know, you know, being, being non-compliant with their exercise program, things like that. And it just puts such a negative stigma on the patient that, you know, Oh, like you come to the clinic or, you know, on the acute care side, you know, I'm coming to see you however many times a week and I'm putting in all of this work to try and help you get better. And you're not carrying, you know, you're not carrying your load on, on your side of things. Um, when there is so much more that goes into, you know, patient compliance with an exercise program are, do they have time to do it? Um, you know, even if it's as simple as like, Hey, I want you to go, you know, for a five or 10 minute walk every day. Do they have a safe place to go for a walk? Do they have someone that can watch their kids while they're doing their exercises? Do they, are, you know, are they working multiple jobs to try and make things meet, uh, meet ends meet for their family? Like, we need a, you know, we need to dig a little bit deeper and have a better understanding of the patient as a whole and not just, you know, this is what you have going on. These are the things that I'm prescribing to help you get better. You need to do them or this isn't going to work. All right. So number one is your words matter. Number two, people don't typically do things or step out of their comfort zone unless it at least feels like what they're going to try is a little bit safe. So what strategies do you use to create I mean, I think that the term is safe space has been sort of like bastardized, right? But like, how do you, how do you sort of at least, right? Like that, I, I, I like to picture that, that idea of the monkey bars, right? Is I'm going to have one, I got to have a grip on the one forward that I'm going to swing towards. That is the only time I'll let go of the one behind me so I can actually move forward. So what strategies yeah. do you use to, to create a, a trusting environment, we'll call it, for, for your patients? Yeah. Um, so for me, working on the acute care side, right, I'm a, I'm a big guy. I'm over six feet tall. You know, I'm as wide as the doorway of their room. So 
Like <laughs> if I walk up to the patient's bed and I just start firing questions at them while I'm casting them in shadow, like they're, they're not going to be very open with me. So mm-hmm. uh, no, it's, you know, get down on the patient's level, make sure that you have a comfortable amount of space that, you know, if you're, if you're a loud person, a loud talker, you know, try to bring the volume down a little bit. Uh, You know, when you ask a patient a question and they're either having trouble coming up with an answer or they're kind of rambling a little bit, give them that time to process what you're asking them, especially when you're working on the acute care side, they're in the hospital, they're not sleeping great. They're, they're not around their family, their pets, things that make them feel comfortable. you know, a lot of my patients, uh, my bone marrow transplant patients, they're in the hospital about a month. That's a month that they're not at That's home true. in their regular routine. Um, so I encourage, so like little things that I can do, I encourage patients to have their families bring in, you know, a, a blanket from home, uh, put up pictures on the wall in their room, make that room. If you're going to be stuck there for a while, make that feel as homey and as comfortable as you possibly can. Yeah. These are all small not they're 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 simple but not easy cuz that you have to make them part of your routine everything yeah. you just mentioned was zero cost and required zero certifications or courses to do that yeah. it, it really <laughs> like it required like thinking about what you do and i'm guilty of those things cuz i can talk fast and i can talk loud and i do those things when i get excited and that's something i've paid attention to which is like slow it down a little bit because and i and i work with people like this too like in public speaking I'll say you thinking you're slowing down by 50%, you've probably slowed down 5%. You can go a lot slower and still yeah. sound like you have momentum. And that goes whether you're giving a TED Talk or whether you're having a one-on-one interaction with a patient because both of those things, the goal is actually understa- achieving understanding, not just yeah. having got and, the words up. Yeah. And so right when we talk about like asking a patient a question and if their if their response is kind of trailing off in a direction that you don't want to go, but you're immediately cutting them off and not letting them finish their thought, and you it's just like this rapid fire question. Now those answers to their questions are starting to get shorter and shorter and shorter, mm-hmm. and now we're not getting we're not getting those little nuggets of wisdom that we want to get because we're not like you know it takes what an extra couple minutes to let them ramble a little mm-hmm. bit and finish a thought. But there's so much pressure on, you know, I have this like 15 minute block of time to get as much information out of you as I can. Uh, And I think that leads us into one of our other topics, right, where it's this is not an interrogation. Like we are not sitting here with the FBI bright light shining on them, you know, firing questions at them to get answers. We need to be able to pull out what we need from what they're telling us. Yeah. Yeah. This was, this was a cool moment for me, or at least made me feel like I had something to offer. Back when I was in PT school, we were learning the subjective exam and we were supposed to study these like 10 or 12 questions and the order that we had to ask them. I remember I raised my hand. I was like, I've been interviewing people for years. How do you know what second question to ask where they haven't answered the first one yet? You know, it's the choose your own adventure. It's like, I don't know to go left or right at the next fork. I don't know what the next fork is because we haven't, we haven't traversed the first fork yet. Right. And then, you know, you have, uh, you know, you have a student that's on rotation with you and right. We all get that same class where, you know, these are the questions you need to ask, you know, this is the order that you ask them in. And now you ask your first question and they answer like the first two or three questions within their first one. 
but you don't know how to how to jump to that next question. Now you're just like, oh, well, okay, like, and you just get stuck, and it's like, correct. And that's a nonverbal way of showing I'm not paying attention to what you're saying, or this is I'm going off of a clip. I'm going off of a clipboard. I'm just repeating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So the thir- the third thing you want you 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 think is silence. Silence is golden, and I think that people don't understand how powerful silence can be in a, again a TED talk or patient communication and how effective yeah. can it be? Because the first thing you said was, I'm a big dude. I'm wide. I'm tall. If I'm standing above you, I'm towering. Silence is, is a great way to give space. Exactly. Um, no. And I think we already touched on a little bit, right? If you, you're asking the patient questions that, you know, we need information from them. We need to know, you know, kind of what's bothering them, you know, what past experiences have they had. And if those past experiences have not been positive ones, like very few, I feel like very few people are going to immediately like, you know, this is what went wrong the last time I saw a PT, right? It's, you'll get there eventually, but it's not, it, most people, it's usually not the first response that they're going to. <laughs> This is it. This is a cheat code, a completely legal cheat code that the, even the people you're asking are okay with it. And this is what I use in business communications evaluations. Walk me through what uh, what hasn't worked, and then guess what you're not going to suggest on your business pitch or your treatment plan. But that's a cheat code, man, and that's legal. But when you're, you know, like we said, when you're just kind of firing questions at them and you're not giving them that time to process what you're asking them and give them time to come up with a thoughtful response, you know, that's where, you know, being able to put the brakes on a little bit and Mm -hmm. slow yourself down and think about, you know, think about the information that you're trying to get, not the answer to the question that you just asked them. Think about what you're trying to pull out of that question. Right. If I have a patient that was diagnosed with cancer, right, they're going through all of these really tough treatments. And, you know, I want to get them to be more active while they're stuck in the hospital with us. If I, you know, ask them, you know, hey, how do you feel about doing this today? And they're having a lousy day. If they, if treatment's kicking their butt, if they got a lousy night of sleep, if they're, you know, puking up everything that they eat and they just feel run down, you know, if I can give them some space to like, and I, and I ask them, you know, Hey, what did you enjoy doing before you got sick? When you were, when you're at home with your family, what kind of stuff do you like to do? And how can we now, you know, take the information that we're getting? Oh, like, this is where I live. This is, you know, beautiful places to go hiking. I love to go walk outdoors with my dogs, you know, and now, you know, great. They like to go for hikes. They like to be outdoors. You know, is there a space, you know, in the hospital that I can take them where they have a nicer view than walking around the hallway, staring at, you know, the same set of doors and closets and, you know, but if I just go, you know, Hey, do you want to, you know, these are the exercises that I thought would be good for you. Do you want to do those today? Like, no, I feel like crap. I don't want to do that. Correct. Sell, sell the out or bring the outcome, bring the happy thing into it. And then, because if I understand why I'm doing this, oh, by doing this, you'll be able to get back to doing that sooner. Um, 
Your uh, next thing on the list, which is number four, you sort of touched on it, which is ask without interrogating, right? Are there any like phrases or or things that you use? I don't want to call them tricks, but like, you know, I think they're tools more than they're tricks. I have a few. I'm interested in what yours are in terms of how to make a question feel not like an interrogation because it shouldn't be. Yeah, um, I think, you know, going back to the last example, and it's not just like, you know, what do you do for exercise? It's, you know, what do you do to stay active? What do you enjoy doing? Um, I feel like leaving things a little bit more vague, really open-ended, and not these really simple, you know, oh, I go to the gym. Yeah. Okay, what do you what do you do when you go to the gym? You know, there's yeah. there's lots of stuff to do when you go to the gym. What do you what do you like to do? What what keeps you engaged? What keeps you what keeps you active? You know, when you're when you're at home, what do you you know? What is your family situation like? You know, not who lives with you, where do you live? You know, do you have stairs? All the, you know, we need to get to those questions. We need that information, but I don't need to fire off questions like it's a bullet point list that I have to get through before the bell rings and it's on to the next patient. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to be a thing on a checklist to be, you know, moved along the assembly line. I like one when you're receiving some people have pushed back on taking a patient history and said receiving a patient history it seems a little bit i don't know whatever that's fine i like that but one with where where's this instead of saying like what brings you in today which is a fine question i like where's the story start where's the story start and sometimes people will think i had an injury when i was 12 years old i'm 39 years old i'm like if that's what you think what am i gonna do tell you you're wrong it's a it's a bad way to start so where does the story start and then yeah. let them go right? The other is help me understand. And I got that from a former FBI hostage negotiator, Chris Voss. Everything's help me understand. It's like, help me understand means you're in charge. I'm trying. It says a lot in just a couple of words. Help me understand. Yeah. Three words, really powerful. I like those tools. Right. You talk, you talk about, you know, getting a patient to trust you yeah. and it's not, I have this fancy degree and this alphabet soup after my last name, it's you now tell me where you're at with things and I will let you know how I can help you with those things. But when you go into it with, you know, Oh, this is your diagnosis. You know, this is how we get you better. You're just, you're completely disregarding the patient's individual experience with what they've been through. Correct. Yeah. I usually, I usually coach people up for again, pot, <coughs> excuse me, podcasts or talking to people, which is, what a podcast really should be. Um, I say you get, you're allowed one, maybe two follow-up questions with that. So I can say like, how, how's things going? Help me understand that a little bit better, which means you gave me a little, I want more, but I'm not going to go, you know, what, what else you got there? Help me understand a little more about that. Or is that all, you know, is that all, is there anything I didn't, we didn't talk about or I want to give you a chance to, so I, I usually say, like, if you want to go deep, one or two follow-ups, which, again, are just open-ended, like, just open-ended. Yeah. Those are great questions, and they, they aren't. It's hard to teach those in an orthopedics class in PT school because it's hard to give a test on that. But that's where the magic happens is the stuff that's hard to actually <laughs> test, right? Yeah. So, so that ask without interrogating. Um, patient-centered goals. I feel like this one feels like we understand it, but how do you work with your patient to set and achieve goals and you talked about this in terms of hiking or with their pets. How do you how do you how do you bring about the conversation? When do you bring about the conversation? Is it the beginning, middle, end of a conversation that are meaningful to them? Goals that matter to that person. 
Yeah. Um, so when I am receiving a patient history, I'm using that from now on. Um, I try to kind of weave that goal setting in, you know, while I'm talking to a patient. Um, you know, yeah. I feel like we don't have to, you know, do like a big dump at the end of our, you know, subjective where it's like, all right, like these are our goals no now. Goals. Uh, right. Cause now we're just getting back to, you know, bullet point checklists, like do, 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 right. these are what, these are what we're going to accomplish. Um, you know, I try to weave it in a little bit while we're, you know, while I'm getting to know people, um, and, you know, trying to make that connection, right? Like, okay. Like you like to go hiking, you like to play golf, like, you know, great. We're going to, you know, you're an avid golfer, uh, but now you have, you know, chemo-induced neuropathy in your feet. Your balance is getting worse, right? Are you going to be able to stand over a six-foot putt and feel comfortable on your feet, right? So we're going to work on your balance while you're here. You know, when you go when you go back home, you know, take a handful of balls and go stand on the putting green and, you know, shift your weight back and forth on, you know, left foot, right foot. You know, that's going to help you work on your balance, you know, and you're going to do it in a way that is engaging for you. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to have you stand at the kitchen counter and, you know, set a timer for 30 seconds and stand on your left foot and then do the same thing on your right foot because you're going to get bored with it and you're never going to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Make it meaningful to me. Clearly communicate the dots, right? There's, there's a straight line between every two points, right? Make, help me understand why I'm doing this. Is it just a, check off on your list that's not meaningful to me or is it going to help me do that thing you know that's all you needed to do to get my dad out of bed and shift weight was like we're going to work on your putting all right and you want to sink the six foot putt uh last thing in your six pack is uh, a phrase that i think i didn't hear about it until a a little more than a year ago and then i feel like it was everywhere on pt twitter and then it died out and that was trauma-informed care so What's your what's your explanation of the the principles of trauma informed care and how do you integrate those into practice? Yeah, um, and so I feel like I am like working with cancer patients. So, uh, like a quick background on me, um, I did my last clinical rotation of PT school um, at Stanford with their bone marrow transplant team, um, and then worked in an outpatient ortho clinic for like six months. Um, and they called me and asked me if I want, they had an opening on the team, reached out to me, Hey, do you want to come back? Like, absolutely. I like, loved my experience there going through, you know, PT school, never thought I was going to end up working with cancer patients, but fell in love with it when I was there on rotation. Um, and so I have been working with cancer patients the last almost eight years now. Um, and so I feel like even before I had heard the term trauma informed care, like it's what we do. Like you don't, you don't last this long working with cancer patients. If you don't, if you're not compassionate, if you don't listen to what they're telling you, if you can't synthesize that information and understand how such a life changing diagnosis affects every aspect of their life, not just their mobility and their function. And so, you know, when I think about trauma informed care, um, you know, kind of as a, as a like topic, it is how do we take all of a patient's past experiences, whether they are directly related to what we're doing with them or not, and, and, and like kind of mesh that all together because, right. If you're not, if you're not implementing, 
give me a second to, to form this thought. <laughs> um, if you're not coming up with a, a cohesive strategy that is, you know, making the patient feel safe, making them feel heard, um, they're not going to value what you have to say. And so if we're not taking those past experiences that they've had, like I said, whether it is directly related to their, uh, you know, the treatment that you're providing or not, if we're not taking those into account and our patients are feeling like, you know, they've had the same talk with multiple providers and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere, they're going to start losing trust. They're going to, you know, they're going to start, um, you know, becoming a little bit more defensive when they're having those conversations because they don't feel like their experience is being valued. Um, and so I had a patient a couple months ago that came in, was having multiple falls at home, um, you know, just wasn't getting up and doing a whole lot, um, you know, came in through the ED, uh, they get to the floor, uh, you know, all the notes that are in the EMR from the docs and everything are, you know, we're going to run all of these tests. It's most likely progression of her disease. You know, this is where we're at. And so I'm, ch- I'm talking to her, her husband's there at the bedside and, um, you know, it's like, okay, like when did all of this start? Because, you know, you just came in a couple of days ago. I'm just getting to you now. When did this all start? Uh, and she goes, well, a couple of months ago, I got a call from my oncologist that, you know, things weren't getting any better. Things don't look worse, but we're not really seeing the response that we want to see. And so they had to switch one of her medications, not something she was super excited about. Um, you know, they get this big, long list of side effects whenever they switch medications, right? So a lot of things on there that she was not looking forward to. Um, so she wasn't eating well. She wasn't sleeping. She, you know, she told me because I gave her that space to have this conversation about, you know, what is going on? What's, you know, what's happening? She, you know, she told me, you know, I was a little depressed when I got that call. It's like, cool, we're going to loop in dietary services. We're going to loop in your social worker. We're going to loop in psychonk. A week later, she's sleeping better. She's eating. She's ready to go home. Her, her weakness and her falls were not because there was something wrong with her musculoskeletally. It was all of these other things in her life are out of her control and she is not now she is not engaged so she's not getting up and doing anything and you know there it's a simple it's a relatively simple fix but if you're not asking the questions to get there you're not going to get the you're not going to get to that bottom you know yeah you're not going to get to those answers yeah um <clears throat> so to review <clears throat> words matter create a safe space or create a uh, a trusting environment. I like trusting environment. It sounds a little bit less, you know, just overused. Silence says a lot. See what I did there? I held. Sun. Yeah, there you go. Uh, make sure it's it's asking. It's asking, not interrogating. Make sure the goals are around the patient and they're not just part of that list. And finally, are you getting the whole story? Are you getting? Are you getting as much of the picture? Because you're never going to get all of it. Are you getting as much of the picture as you can with the tools that you're given and who, what, where, when, why, and how are tools, and you can use them pretty damn well. Did I miss anything? 
That's a great wrap up. I love it. That's a pretty good wrap up. All right. Last thing we do on the show. Are you ready for the parting shot? Let's do it. This is the parting shot. Right. Parting shot brought to you by our friends at the Academy of Orthopedic PT. Find them online at orthopt.org. Uh, they're a profession leading current concepts of orthopedic physical therapy, taking you from wherever you are to maybe you want to take that OCS exam, but you don't want to take it unless you're like, kind of confident, feeling competent. And that's what it does. It helps you instill confidence and competence. You got to take the test, but this helps you get there. All right. So that's our, our parting shot sponsor. What do you want to leave with the audience, Adam? What's your mic drop moment, your soapbox statement? What do you got? So any, any oncology PT that you talk to is going to tell you, you need to have some basic understanding of how cancer affects patients because it's not a matter of if you're going to treat somebody that has had a cancer diagnosis, it's when. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're, we're heading towards, you know, the, the NIH has this projection of having 24 million cancer survivors in the U.S. within the next five to 10 years. No. So even patients that you're going to see for hip and knee issues, for back issues, they will most likely have had some kind of other cancer history in their past. Um, so be educated on how different treatments affect patients. Um, and there are lots of ways to do that. Um, you know, I, I have learned so much about oncology PT just through networking on Twitter. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. And don't under treat them because that's just as bad, right? Like, so don't just, and I was guilty of this myself, like seeing that C word and be like, well, then I'll just go easy. It's like, uh, then that's a disservice. That's, that's, that's not, yeah. it's a disservice. That or even right. Like in PT school, we know in the one, the half hour lecture that we get on, on cancer in the entirety of our program, it's, you know, these are red flags, red flags and yeah. you're going to refer back. <laughs> right. And it's like, no, there is so much that we can do for these patients. Yeah. If you just have a, if you even just have a basic understanding of, right. you know, the treatments that they've been through and how they affect them. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's at least on the, the, the trend is, is positive in direction, right? At least since I graduated in 2016, because that's what it felt like. And I feel like that's not what I hear now. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. No, I think All we're right. heading, we're heading in the right direction. <laughs> Good. Perfect. All right. They said the best conversations happen at happy hour. Adam, thanks for coming to ours. Jimmy, it was great talking with you. Thanks for having me on. Hopefully we get to do it again soon.